Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, The First Steps. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening to this show, which is now a part of the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. I am so proud to be part of this group of really fun, uh, really fun podcasters, really good people. And I'm excited to see where this entire network goes. This episode is a look back at a very, very early episode. Uh, this was with uh, with a dear friend, uh, E.C. Stilson. Um, Elisa and I have known each other for over a decade now. And it was, it was a, a real thrill to finally have her on the show. I knew that, that she was going to have a lot to say. I knew that she was going to have a lot of stories about growing up, about all the different twists and turns that her life uh, was, had gone in. Um, the different stories that were inspired by her, by her life. There was so much that she was able to provide and it wound up being a very popular episode uh, when, when this was, when this one was launched. So I really look forward to you hearing it. We're about to start it right now. Um, And I do have a little bit of news to report once we get back. Enjoy. I introduce our guest for this time around. I want to take you guys back to 2012. Uh, this is during the time when I was still in that self-published mode for my first book, Excelsior. And I was still tinkering with, from Parts Unknown, taking the 2002 version of that novel and blowing it, eventually blowing it up into the five-part serial that it is. But I was still just kind of, you know, working along with it and just really kind of coasting in that sense, really not doing too much in, um, in my writing career. But at the same time, I was constantly keeping an eye on Facebook, was making a lot of different networking connections with different people. And there was one in particular that really struck my eye, and that was a woman named E.C. Stilson. And we connected right away when... Uh, she shared a post on Facebook that showed her at a uh, at a book signing at Barnes and Noble. Now, considering the fact that uh, she had her book going through CreateSpace, that really intrigued me because that's something that's not usually happening. You know, like at least as far as I knew back then. Uh, again, this is 2012. Um, I reached out to her. And I just had a couple of questions for her regarding how she was able to make this happen, uh, how she was able to get her book into the Barnes and Noble, how she was able to get herself into that Barnes and Noble for the signing. And she followed with a paragraph upon paragraph of a response. And it was fantastic. It was detailed. It was 
just so above and beyond what people would suspect from people that you're just meeting for the first time. Um, and it was a perfect illustration of what the writing community is all about, what everything is good about the writing community. And that's something that, um, that E.C. Stillson definitely represents. Um, basically, she is, uh, she has done NaNoWriMo se- uh, several times. Uh, she has authored seven novels and one children's picture book. Two of her novels, The Golden Sky and Homeless in Hawaii, became number one bestsellers on Amazon for women's memoir. She had done, she's done various fundraisers, book donations, national radio reviews. She has raised thousands of dollars for organizations like Angel Watch and the Pregnancy Resource Center, the American Diabetes Association. Uh, she is constantly go, uh, putting herself out there as both an author a, and a musician, a very accomplished musician. And she is uh, just a wonderful, motivating figure, and I'm so, so happy to have her uh, not only on my show, but after I would say after over six years, we're finally speaking to each other and not typing to each other. So it is without further ado that I introduce our guest for this week, E.C. Stilson. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, George. What a wonderful introduction. And I've been so grateful to know you and just to see your journey and so impressed with your writing and I'm so glad to be on the show thank you and and thank you thank you really um just everything that that I've seen you do over the over the past six years you know getting uh getting the television interviews uh getting the different radio interviews um all the different signings the performances that you've been doing um Speaking of performances, can you tell us uh, really quickly which instruments you play? Yeah, so I play six instruments. Um, The ones that I play really well are the violin and the piano, but I also play the alto sax, the tenor sax, the clarinet, and the drums. That's awesome. That is so awesome. I'm, I'm... I'm, t- I'm telling you guys, you really need to, uh, you know, follow her on Facebook. You need to, you know, to see, get a glimpse of her journey for yourself. Uh, you can find her, you can find her Facebook page um, on Amazon at EC Stilson. That's correct, right? That is, yep. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so let's, uh, before we go, go into your NaNoWriMo experience, Let's take a trip back in time. Let's go ahead and go right back to the beginning. Um, storytellers always have that moment of inspiration where they just believe that they can feel it in their blood in, when they know that that is a particular direction that they're going to go in. Um, as Paul Schrader said that, you know, people go into the arts because they have no choice. And that is, uh, that's definitely something that I agree with. And I'm curious to know your journey. What was it that inspired you to go in this direction? So actually, when I was in grade school, um, I wrote a 90-page book about my hamster. And nice. <laughs> I just about your hamster? always loved writing. 90 pages? <laughs> 90 pages. I loved that hamster. It was a big deal. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I've always loved writing. And um, when, so I had a little boy who passed away and I had journaled the whole experience. And so years later, I read my, my journal and I thought, you know what? It helped me heal. So I had a couple friends read it and they just agreed that it was something that 
I really needed to get out there for the public to read for people who have experienced loss and grief. And um, that was what really inspired me because going through something terrible like that, it was almost like somebody had pried open my, my rib cage and just could see exactly what made me tick. But by going through that and sharing everything, um, it was amazing how it really broke me in a way that I could finally be raw and real and just be brave enough and humble enough to share what I had gone through. I mean, the good, the bad, everything. That's that's amazing. And I mean, wow. I mean, you, no, you know, no one ever you know, want, you know, like I, I couldn't even fathom it, you know, like, ha- you know, having, um, you know, being a new father right now is just like, I mean, that's something that you just don't want to, you know, enter your mind. The fact that you went through it is just, and then came out, came out from it in, and were able to harness it in such a positive way. Like that's, that's incredible. It really is. Um, wow. Uh, just so, just you know, kind of you know, took took me for a sec, you know, took me for a second there because I remembered, I remember hearing, you know, like, um, you know, reading about this, but it's it's something else entirely when you get to you know hear it in per, you know, you know, in person. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I do, I do. Yeah, I've heard so many stories over the years. Um, I've been really, really, um, I don't even know the the right word, honored or just touched or blessed. I don't know, but people sharing their stories with me after they've, they've read my book. And, um, it's been really, I guess, humbling maybe is the word just to hear these stories, what people have gone through, what they've lived through. And then just to see how they've embraced the positive and made it something, something terrible, how all of a sudden it makes them who they are. And it's pretty inspiring. That's, that's, that's amazing. And something like that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a case where, you know, when you go through, when um, you go through something like that, you know, it's, it's like you're walking with that person or those people forever, really, mm-hmm. because, uh, because you were such an integral instrument, basically, to, you know, to help them move forward in their lives, which is something that, you know, mm-hmm. everyone needs to do. Um, so... From that, you know, what was the next step there, you know, like, at, you know, after that happened? So basically, I decided to start a blog, and um, I knew that I wanted my book to get out there, but it wasn't published yet or anything. So I started a blog. Um, I started blogging every single day. I decided to do that for a year straight. And my blog now, um, I need to be working on it more. But I started that in 2011, and it has over 900,000 views. And it's actually done really, really well. Just kind of silly posts about my kids. And sometimes I feel like I'm a walking disaster. I've had people tell me that I'm the modern day Anne of Green Gables. (laughs) (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. (laughs) Right. But I just really blogged about some of the things that have happened. And people have been so great and just kind, really. But it's, it's been an amazing journey. And so... After that, um, I started a publishing company, and um, I started that with my brother and several editors. Um, it was it was really awesome. It only stayed in business for three years, but we were able to through anthologies and then through the separate novels, we published over a hundred authors. Wow! And over um, it, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the anthologies had over 50 different authors in it. So, but I mean, it's still just an amazing experience. I was really glad that I gave it a shot. And when things didn't work out with it, we were able to give the authors the, you know, their manuscripts back that were fully edited. They were able to keep the covers and the artwork. And so I felt like that was something good that we were able to do, that it wasn't a complete loss. But yeah, I, I really just put myself out there. That's yeah, that's that's really amazing too. Because once, I mean, basically, like once the you know once a publisher really you know normally just kind of you know closes their doors and everything, or if a um, or if a, an author decides to you know step away, um, you know, it's it's uh, I mean, what what exactly is the publisher going to do with with all with those images? You know, like um, so mm-hmm. it's that's uh, that's great that you're able to. Um, that you were able to do that. Now, what inspired you to start up the publish the publishing house in the first place? Because I know you had your books, but was it a matter of just kind of just inspired to reach so, out and help others? Yeah, that was part of it. Um, I have a, a really amazing friend. I call her my adopted grandma or my adopted second mother. And she was previously published by Random House and then wanted to be published again. So um, Wayman Publishing published her and then my brother is a writer as well. He is absolutely amazing. And so um, we published his, his novels and then Shane Stilson. Shane Stilson? And he's mm-hmm. Yeah. He he writes about um angels and demons and the afterlife. It's pretty cool. But yeah, so we just all came together and it was a it was a neat experience. It really was. But yeah. um I had, I did have an offer from a publisher, but they wanted me to change so much of my journal. They had wanted me to take out all the swear words. And so there was a line that said, um, damn it, my son died. And they wanted me to change it to dang it. And that was when I decided. No, 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 (laughs) no. That is, that so is, that be, that is beyond the- deal breaker right there. Like that is ridiculous <laughs> that they would want to do that. Like that's. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So that was actually the inspiration. The very first spark of the inspiration for Wayman publishing was me wanting to keep swear words. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I've read, I've read this blog too. Like it's, it is, it is a really, really fun read. And, um, the fact that you are able to, you know, for that first year and everything, keep it going as, for every day for an entire year. That's some serious discipline right there. When it comes to like, um, um, when it comes to every, um, safeguarding your time with that, you know, like that's something that, you know, that a lot of writers are always say, like you have to protect your time, you know, your, your writing mm-hmm. time. Do you do that? Is that, is that part of the, is that part of the ritual? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that year was basically like NaNoWriMo 12 months straight. It it really was because my blog posts, I mean, my blog posts were between 500 and 1,000 words, especially in the beginning before I started getting more concise with my words. Mm-hmm. Um, they were closer to 1,000 words. And so I, I really think it depends on if somebody is a morning person or a night person, whenever their brain is just ready. And so for me, I wake up first thing in the morning and I can already hear the words that I want to type. And so I, what I did, would I, I would start getting up at 4.30 in the morning or 5 in the morning because I knew that I'd have to get my kids 
ready, you know, between six and six thirty. Right. So if I had an hour and I could just make sure that I could get my 500 or thousand words out, then, mm -hmm. you know, if I needed to look at them later, I could, but at least I had that moment, my, my moment of inspiration to really get the words out there. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Even when I was a single mom with my four kids, I would just say, I have to do this. This is a priority. And if you look at it as a job, something that maybe it's not paying off now, but it's a, it's a, it's a cash cow, right? That, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was thinking, yeah, I looked in my checking account the other day and I thought, you know, it was so cool. I just had a, I mean, it's not much, but a $40 deposit. Right. And mm -hmm. I thought this is a book that I wrote years and years ago and it's still, it's still paying off slowly, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it is. If, if people look at it as a business and just see the best time for them to write and just say, you absolutely have to do this. And then what I would do is I would have little goals. So if I could do that every morning for three days in a row or five days in a row, then I'd go get a mocha, like a really nice. big one. Yep. There you go. <laughs> you, you, have to, you have to reward yourself like that. I mean, like, um, you know, just say, um, say like every, um, every time you hit your goal or something, you'll put like a few bucks aside. and. Yeah. Once, uh, once you've hit that particular goal, then you can take all that money and buy something that you've really wanted. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's, like, it's almost like giving yourself an allowance, basically. Like you're it's doing true. yours. Um, and it just so happens that with us, it, you know, it's sitting down in front of a keyboard and just typing away. Um, it may not look mm -hmm. like much to, you know, to the uninitiated, but there's a lot going on in our heads, you know, that, uh, that we just you know, need to get out in some, in some way, shape or form. Um, so what, um, what got you into music? What, uh, how, you know, like, uh, how long, how long have you been playing? So I started playing the piano when I was five and the violin when I was six. Um, the other instruments I picked up when I was in junior high and high school. Um, I just, when I was three years old, I still, my mom tells this story how I saw a, a man playing the violin on TV and I guess I would just not leave her alone about it. Every day I would say, I'm going to play the violin. I meant to play the violin. Mm -hmm. And finally, when I was six, she bought me a violin because I just oh. would not stop. <laughs> and it has been, yeah, it's been an extension of myself. I just, I think that was one thing for me. I was always meant to play the violin. Mm. Yeah, it's and that's that's what I see more than anything. Like in terms of like the you know the pictures of you know your performances, um, more often than not, I'm seeing you with the violin, and yeah, it definitely you know just the way you know you look up there, just like you're commanding the stage, really, and it's yeah. really cool to see. You know, it's fun. Well, and it's cool too how if if people can really see what their different skills are and how that can dovetail into writing. So for me, I go and talk at assemblies and for different classrooms, but I'll always bring my violin with me. So when I talk to the students, then I have these cute little <laughs> little songs that I'll play or they'll have me write a story. And, you know, if there's pirates, I'll play the theme song from Pir Pirates of the Caribbean or, oh, nice. you know, just throw little things in there. And it just makes it fun, but it's kind of my special flair. And I've seen other authors that do things like this with what their giftings are. And it's been neat. Yeah, it's, it really, it really is a lot of fun. I, I, um, a few years ago, I got to speak with, um, I got to speak to a group of elementary school kids over at, over in uh, 
Bayless, which was actually where uh, my wife went to school. So that was real. That was uh, that was a fun little um, a fun little nod to her past because she got to be there with me, and so she got to That's see awesome. how, how the how the schools and everything have have changed, you know, after all these years, because like, you know, she's, you know, she's in her thirties now. So um, obviously, you know, quite a bit has changed with all of these different schools since since she's been there, but it still brought back a whole flood of memories with her. But um, what I got to do is I got to um, do a little PowerPoint presentation and I got to talk about what it was that inspired me. And the really fun moment was getting to show them all the different pictures of of uh, different television shows and movies and stuff that inspired me way back when. And, you know, getting their reactions to them was, was a riot. Um, especially when I showed them the picture of Transformers, because they, they all went, they all went nuts, you know, like over that. So it was, <laughs> that was my whole thing. Like my, just kind of tapping into my, you know, like my own, um, my nostalgia, my likes and loves over those years and still maintaining today. Um, knowing that they can kind of, you know, take that and run with it themselves, you know, their own, that's uh, awesome. their own loves, you know, so that's my thing. You know, like it's not quite as, um, not quite as, as, um, as a ama- you know, like mind blowing is the way you can just kind of, um, play like that, especially the theme, the pirates. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. It's one of the great, great <laughs> themes of the 21st century. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm a big film score nut, so you know, like when you know, like knowing that uh, that can be played and everything is just that just makes my day. So um, that's so fun. <laughs> so um, so so during that time, so you've so you were able to you know take the love of music and were able to um, kind of dove, dovetail that into the writing. Has the two of them kind of like um, what other ways have the two of them really come together with the writing and the music? So um, one of my books is Homeless in Hawaii. So when I was 17 years old, I actually ran away from home and I was a homeless street musician with my ex-husband. We played up the California coast and then we actually played in Hawaii for three months and we just lived on the street. And so really um, all of my books, there's some musical element in them, but especially my memoirs because um, just playing the violin is so much of who I am. It truly is from the point that I, that's how we survived. And that's also, that was another turning point in my life where I really learned a lot about humanity. When you are on the street, just playing music, you really see who people are because when people think you have nothing to offer them, you really, you know, you can pick out a kind soul from a mile away. You can see somebody who is overly judgmental. And the thing is, we're all the same. And yeah. so it, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so how long, how long was it th- that you were, you know, homeless, you know, like that you said that you it were. Was, yeah. So we, we were living in a car for about three months. Yeah. It's, this all started in November and then um, it was the end of January when we went to Hawaii. I had saved up some money when I was in high school. And then we also saved up some money playing in different places in California. Mm-hmm. We went to Hawaii and then we were in Hawaii till April. So Nice. Well, yeah, at least like, you know, it's during the winter months, you know, so <laughs> it's a, <Yeah. laughs> there's, there is that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a little bright side there. 
Um, yeah, it was nice and warm. It was it was actually a pretty neat experience. I mean, yeah. it really was, and I'm glad that I have that because I mean, there's there's no way I could do that now. You know, I'm I'm old. I'm 35. I'm <laughs> I'm 42. Okay, there's no way I would want to <laughs> do that. Don't be talking about old. <laughs> But I mean, I don't want to go sleep on the street or anything now, you know, no, no, back then not. it was like <laughs> hard floor, you know, hard ground, big deal. Now it's like death. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just like, let's, let's just stay indoors. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, <laughs> I want a spot. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, especially at the ripe old age of 35. Like, geez. <laughs> I know it. I've got one foot in the grave now. I'm halfway to 70, George. This is a big deal. <laughs> I'm halfway to 84. <laughs> just, I'm just going to dig a little further down there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so the book itself, so the book itself, Homeless in Hawaii, um, were you just kind of like jotting down things like as they were happening during that time? Or was it, was it a matter of, reaching back to the memories of just thinking like, oh, well, this happened and this happened and, you know, then this happened. Yeah, it was reaching back. And I actually wrote Homeless in Hawaii um, as a NaNoWriMo, just remembering all the experiences from that time. Oh, nice. Nice. So that's, yeah. that's actually like a perfect dovetail right into uh, National Novel Writing Month. So I, I told my little story um, in the prologue last week, uh, basically that in – December of 2007, that was my first exposure to National Novel Writing Month. Uh, Cheryl and I went shopping. We were at a Barnes & Noble in New York City, and I came across this tiny little book called No Plot, No Problem. And it's, it's almost like, uh, like a little spotlight just kind of came down onto that very spot on the shelf, just saying, like, you want to get this book. And when I started reading it, I was introduced to National Novel Writing Month. Now, at that point... It had already been going on for eight years, and this, that's how out of touch I was because this was the first time I had heard about it. And so it was during that time that I had read it, and I was really into it, into reading all the, the history of it and everything. And finally it got to the point where Chris is like, okay, um, where Chris Beatty was like, okay, here we go. Let's go. Day one. And that's when I shut the, door, shut the book because I wasn't ready yet. And it definitely wasn't going to be November for me uh, when I was going to write because November is what um, it's my wedding anniversary. It's my wife's birthday and it's Thanksgiving. And at that time it was our first anniversary. So there was no way I was going to say, honey, I'm going to write a book on top of everything else that we're doing. So I was able to Mm -hmm. make mine happen in June. So what was, what was your first exposure to national novel writing month? So I started in November. I had just heard about it. Um, when I started my blog, it was January 1st. And so prior to the month of November, I had just been exposed to it in 2011 and just decided to start that year. And um, I had gone to a, a writing seminar that really helped me that was talking about the you know, how you think of where you want your novel to end and, and how you have your midpoint and everything. But I was able to take it to the next level so mm-hmm. that I could really have my, my outline ready for NaNoWriMo. And I still do that. It's, it's helped me a lot, just as far as how many words I wanted to write a day 
and how I knew when I wanted to get a quarter of the way through the book, you know, halfway, 75%. And it's really just a kind of tried and true helped me with this process. Did you hit the, did you hit the, um, you might not have hit this because it was, you know, like, like you said, you know, you had done this as a sort of, as a memoir, but was, um, when week two came around, there's always that talk of hitting that week two wall. I know with me, it was, it was difficult because I had spent the first week kind of setting up the, all the pieces and getting them in position. And now week two came, came along and I actually had to make them do something. So did you have that, you know, something similar like that, like sort of hitting a wall? You know, I've had that with, um, so I've written a fantasy novel and I'm writing the sequel to that right now. I've had that more with the fantasy novels, but those mm-hmm. ones I'm writing more of, they're less um, outlined and more of just kind of seeing where the plot will take me and where the characters will take me. But yeah. what I did with my memoirs and um, and I've also written a romance, what I did with those was, so my average chapter is a thousand words. And so I knew that if I could write two chapters a day, you know, for the 30 days, then I could get to my 60,000 words because I wanted to have a 60,000 word novel. Mm -hmm. But then I knew that if I could just get, you know, chapter 30 would be my halfway point. And so I would have the the ending, you know, the complete opposite of where you want your story to begin. And then the Mm -hmm. midpoint would be just the middle of that to get to there. But basically, I would just have an outline of all 60 chapters. I would just not completely outline them, but just have a chapter title and something that I was really excited that I knew would um, further the the plot. And and so I think what prevented me from hitting that wall was that I was really excited to write the next chapter. I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming five chapters ahead, and I kind of couldn't wait to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, there were certain spots that, you know, during, uh, um, during the writing of first draft of Excelsior, which is what my, um, my NaNoWriMo in June, uh, which was at that time, it was called the Southern Cross Novel Challenge, which was done by um, a group of writers that were based out of New Zealand. And so they basically just said like, well, it's the same thing as NaNoWriMo, only it's in June. And that just seemed a much more attainable month for me. And, um, yeah, I remember knowing that I was going to use this month to tell my, the origin story for this character that had been in my head since 1992. So, um, yeah, just like with you, there were certain points in the story that I was so anxious to get to because I knew that those moments were going to be so awesome. And they wound up being mm-hmm. so different <laughs> when, when the book was finally finished. Um, what was, uh, what's the, what's your editing process like? What's, uh, after the, after you do like your first draft, do you send it off to beta readers? Do you just start self-editing? Do you have an editor? Um, I, well, you so, said you knew an editor, so. Yeah, so I work really closely with my brother. We'll trade chapters. And so after we've written so much, we'll just start trading each other's chapters and we'll just go a chapter at a time. And we're both pretty brutal with our editing. And so sometimes you have to change entire threads in a story, but at least all the words are there. Then once I have that done, then I have um, Dee Reedy, who's my my good friend, who I said is like my adopted grandma. Uh, (laughs) She will go through the the whole novel, and then she has written multiple novels, so I go through her novels as well. So she goes through for the, the copy editing and the line editing. She's just fantastic. 
And um, then after that point, I'll usually send it out to some beta readers. And usually by that time, I mean, my, my brother is so brutal that, <laughs> <laughs> that by the time he's taken months to go through the novel. Months? <laughs> that, yes. And it's like, oh, my gosh, sometimes I'm reading it. Like, no. And what's funny is he's so brutal to me, then I'm brutal to him. <laughs> and it's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a reaction, kind of like schoolyard rules. Like, well, he started it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so childhood is just carrying on to adulthood. Yep. <laughs> those behaviors. But anyways, yeah, so by that time, usually um, – Usually the novel is, is really polished by that time after going through both of them and then the beta readers. Um, yeah, so that's usually what my process has been. Now, I know my, my brother's last novel, he actually hired um, two different professional editors from an editing site he found, and he was really happy with them, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ways to go with that. How do you usually do your editing? Um, well, you know, like I can definitely say with, uh, with Excelsior and Ever Upward, um, I have two different editors as, uh, um, at my, at, uh, I don't want to say at my disposal, but you know, like I want to say like, they are just absolutely wonderful, uh, people. There is my, uh, story editor who really came in early in, um, in the operation, uh, Jerry Ann Geller. Basically what she did was, um, she's got, you know, a few decades worth of experience regarding, um, um, regarding writing, regarding editing. Um, and I asked for her professional opinion on the first draft of Excelsior, because again, this was 2008 and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was so convinced that what I had written was so good that all I had to do was just do like some touch-ups and everything. And then I could start sending it out to the agents, sending it out to the publishers. And she took one look at chapter one and said, this is going to take a lot of work. And we mm -hmm. worked together for almost two years, um, basically just, you know, breaking down that entire manuscript and then rebuilding it. And what she did, which was so wonderfully beneficial, that is still wonderfully beneficial is she kind of forced me to come up with my universe. Uh, she forced me to, to world build um, by asking me all these different questions about the different species, about their politics, about the world that they're, that they're in, um, about their food, about their water, about, you know, like uh, what the sky is, you know, like all these different things. And she didn't come up with any answers herself. She forced me to come up with them. And, um, it was really, it was really amazing seeing just how little I knew about this universe that I had in my head. Uh, there was so little of it that I hadn't really explored. Um, and so um, we wound up doing a lot more world building for the sequel, Forever Upward. And um, in 2017, the beginning of 2017, uh, the small press that I had signed on to back in 2013, they wound up closing their doors and they, you know, were able to um, let everyone, you know, go out and either self-publish or find a different publisher or whatever. And at that time, one of my best friends had become an editor with a Loris Publishing, which is a small press based out of the UK. 
And uh, the owner of that, of that publishing house, Jeff Collier, reached out to me and said, um, would, um, this is, um, Excelsior is really good. We feel like it can be even better. Would you be above, would, would you um, have any objection to us taking another crack at it and seeing if we can evolve the characters a little bit more? And I just wanted it to be the best it can be. So I said, yeah, that's fine. And so the, the, um, the editor, who was also one of my best friends, uh, she took a sledgehammer to it. And, um, and I spent two months rewriting that. And um, now it's the best it can possibly be. And it definitely must have made some sort of an impact because on December 3rd, it's going to be in BookBub. So that is so awesome. Congratulations. I am, I am still just like absolutely thrilled about this because um, this was, this, this was just blowing my mind, like getting that kind of, getting that kind of, an, of um, attention all of a sudden is um, it's, it's, it really is, uh, it feels really validating, you know, like it uh, feels like um, almost like it's, it's, it's fine. It's things are finally starting to fall into place in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but, you know, like Jerry Ann and I worked together a lot with Ever Upward uh, with the sequel. And once again, Rebecca, my Rebecca Jaycox, my dear friend over at Alors Publishing, she took a sledgehammer to that too. And, you know, there was a lot of, I was working for almost a year on Ever Upward, getting that rewritten um, into its best possible um, into its best possible place. And according to Jeff, he was very happy with it. So that meant I'm happy with it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my team when it comes to that. It's, um, it's, um, Jerry Ann Geller for the two of us to kind of hammer out the story. And then once it's written, um, then we're, then, uh, Rebecca Jaycox, wonderful editor can, you know, with her trusty sledgehammer, just go ahead and break it down so I can build it right back up. Uh, Jeff Collier, just an amazing publisher, Aloris Publishing. They go above and beyond. And a huge shout out to Molly Phipps, who is my brilliant cover designer. Um, she is, uh, she's amazing. Her work is just absolutely top notch. And I can't wait to see what she's got in store for book three. Um, so who That's is your, exciting. who is your, uh, speaking of teams and everything. So you have, um, you have your, your editors you have uh, beta readers. Do you have a cover designer as well? So I worked um, quite a bit with Chris Maggio, and he is he's amazing. He has a Facebook page now. I think it's um, Maggio Studios, and that's just M-A-G-G-I-O. But he did the cover art for the Sword of Snack. He is mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I was able to visit him um, at his house and meet his wife. They're just a wonderful, wonderful couple. But his house was amazing. They had redone everything, all their floors and everything is super artsy. I mean, he had mermaids he'd painted that were hung up on the walls and it's just kind oh, of magical, but that's how his artwork is. So yeah, I've, I've been really impressed with him, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful once you find a really good team and then you can kind of go with it and how you can help each other just, kind of achieve these common goals and I was thinking when you were talking about your book it reminded me when I 
initially wrote the sort of Sanak, it was in first person. And I went and had to change it to third person because I needed to do some more world building. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back and change it to first person again. But by that time, I had added, um, I had finally created my world. And so here I wrote the book three times. And then originally it was 140,000 words. And I got it down to um, about 90,000. Wow. (laughs) The whole process I went through for that book, it was 10 years of just pain and suffering, but (laughs) you hear, you hear these kinds of stories. I mean, like, I mean, it took five years forever upward to get done. Um, It took, you know, it was basically like, I want to say like a nine year um, journey for Excelsior from, you know, like one version after another, each version is completely different from the other. But at the same time, the story Mm -hmm. is still the same. Um, And then you hear, you know, like hear about people that are able to churn out, you know, six, seven books a year. Um, And I and and they're really good, high quality books and everything. You're just like, you know, you get you you you're envious at one at at one sense. But on the other, you just like you can't force yourself to go by other people's schedule. You know, you have to. you have to keep going with uh, with the project that you're working on and just, mm-hmm. it has to, you know, you, you can't have it at a crawl, you know, you know, but at the same time you have to like, uh, you have to just keep on, you have to, you have to stick with what works for you. You know, you, it, uh, as soon as you try to change yourself to try to fit you know, like a different kind of model, that's when it stops becoming, it stops becoming magical and then it starts being, mm-hmm. work. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I really believe what people say about if you can write the first 100,000 words, then it gets a lot easier. Because the first time I wrote The Sword of Snack, there were seven chapters about shipbuilding. And I had really studied shipbuilding. I mean, I... (laughs) So you were able to really kind of dive in. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then my brother's reading it going, that's great. We, we get it. This is very detailed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think I needed to get that the first 100,000 words out. But with Strangers, with my, my uh, journal about my little boy, that mm-hmm. was just so, it was so innate to who I am and just so true to my, my heart. That just came out and it was just, I don't know, I think going through that whole experience, but then as far as writing fantasy, I think I had to get those first 100,000 words out. And now for me, I can just sit down and just kick out words really fast and they're concise and, but it it didn't used to be that way. That's for sure. Awesome. That's, that's so cool. So um, when yeah, I um, you know, writing writing the uh the book about about your son, like it just seemed like that was very cathartic and very much like kind of like a like very raw um in a, mm-hmm. in a sense. Am I right on that? You know, just No, yeah, absolutely. Was was there a lot of editing or anything that went that you know, went into that or was it basically just kind of like just keeping that raw emotion on on the page as is? Yeah, I was trying to keep the authenticity. Um, there were some small things that were changed. For example, um, there was a line, um, everything is going to be okay, was changed to everything will be okay, just mm-hmm. to keep it more concise. Yeah. But that was really, those were really all of the changes that were made other than 
I omitted some of the journal entries because they really didn't progress um, the story of his life along. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was it was truly amazing how that just all fell into place. Um, his that journal though there were times where he would be getting a surgery or I would be in the hospital and I would literally just grab whatever I could find to write on. Mm. And when he passed away, I had all of this actually put in a box, um, just all of his memorabilia from his life. And so when I did read through everything, it wasn't in chronological order. And so mm -hmm. when I decided to finally start putting all of this into the computer, that took some fancy footwork trying to see, you know, did this come then? Did this come then? Because I hadn't dated all of it. Right. So that was a process for that. <laughs> wow. But, um, but yeah, you were able to, to, to conduct yourself in that way and get it all out like that. That's, it's just amazing that you were able to do that. Well, it was kind of like going on a treasure hunt a little bit because so much of his life I had wanted to push into the past for, for quite a while. I mean, we had taken him off of life support. And so I had nightmares for a long time that, you know, that I had killed him basically, just really terrible dreams. And so when I finally was to the point where I could almost rediscover him and his life and who he had been to me, it, yeah. it was, it was amazing really because going through these things, it's strange how your, your memory, I had remembered certain things that actually they didn't happen that way. And so when I was looking through the journal entries and things, I remembered how it had truly happened and mm -hmm. it was like this fresh perspective and I wasn't really hiding some of those memories. And so, um, and then also the, the fact that, his life, even though he lived such a short time, that he's been able to touch more people than I ever thought I could touch. And because of his life, I've been able to touch lives. So, yeah, so definitely, um, it's definitely worth it. With, with that in mind, you know, like you've been able to, you know, as a musician, as an author, as a speaker, you've done so much for all these different organizations. Was that what um, kind of led you into that? Yeah, that that really was. Um, the Pregnancy Resource Center had really helped me initially. And um, then Primary Children's was where he passed away. And mm. so that's why we had donated money to Primary Children's. And yeah, so it was really, really amazing. And a lot of the donations from that, too, were from the anthologies that Wayman Publishing did. So oh. it was you know, really, really neat that the authors put in their time and were willing to, you know, let their stories be published so that we could raise money for those organizations. Those we gave um, 100% of the profit to different organizations. So, Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. It really is. And um, so what, um, what is it that you're working on now? What's the, uh, what's your current project? So I'm working on this sequel to The Sword of Snack. It's called The Quest for Laren. And mm -hmm. every day I have been coming up with more of the stories. And then I, I tell the story to my kids. And they're all characters in the book. So my little boy just found out that he's betrothed to this girl that he doesn't like at school. And I couldn't <laughs> wait to tell him. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he meets <great>. this really... <laughs> 
he meets this really mean pirate and the pirate says, I'll let you go if you marry my daughter. And then my little boy says, what's his daughter's name? And I said, Mackenzie. <laughs> and he just looks at me like, I hate you so much. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's actually something that, you know, like, um, I don't know if you know this, but um, but the uh, the author screenwriter William Goldman told this told this terrific story once about how when he when his two little girls were growing up he would basically do something similar he would he would go ahead and just um, for story time before they went to bed because they slept in the same room uh, he would just spin all these different stories that would just come out of his head and he kept on saying how like all of it was golden and. To this day, he wishes that he had written any of it down, so that way he could, you know, could actually go back and revisit them and actually like turn them into things. Um, so one night he said, "I'm going to write a book for you, for the two of you. What do you want in it?" And one of them said, "Princesses," and the other one said, "Brides." And so he wrote the Princess Bride because. Wow. Of- and so you are on an amazing path uh, by doing what you're doing, by getting your kids involved like that. Um, so what? Um, so what kind of uh, tips do you have for someone who is just kind of jumping into the NaNoWriMo fray? Uh, what do you What do you have to say, you know say to them to keep them going, to keep them act- from quitting? I would just basically say, find out how long your average chapter is and really just make an outline of where you want your story to end, where you want it to begin, what your midpoint is, and then write chapter titles for each chapter that you know will get you there to if you're going for 50,000 or 60,000. But just go with that and really commit to yourself. Look at it as an investment in yourself. So yes, it takes a lot of time to write a book, but really you're, you're helping yourself grow. You're developing those writing skills, those storytelling skills, and that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. And so just, just think of it that way. How amazing that you've had this desire to write a book or write this new book and just go with it. And it's, it's amazing what you can accomplish and also just your, your subconscious, how you will take yourself there, whether you think that you know where you're going or not, your brain will actually bring you and the story where it needs to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, where can, where can our listeners find your blog? Oh, so that's ecwrites.net. ecwrites.net. E-C-W-R-I-T-E-S dot net. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You, you, as I said before, you represent everything that is, that is great about the writing community. Um, you have been nothing but a gem to me since day one. Um, I'm, so I consider myself honored to know you. I consider myself blessed to have you as a friend. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, that, um, you know, there are, great people in this world. And, you know, this is something that we need to kind of remind ourselves, um, especially in, you know, in, in our you know current climate. Um, there is a lot of, there's a lot of good out there. You just have to 
keep your eyes open and you are going to find it. And um, EC Stilson is uh, beyond a doubt one of those uh, one of those good people. So thank you so much for being a part of my journey of, as as an author. Thank you so much for being a part of the journey of this podcast of Excelsior Journey. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, George. I'm really privileged to be on here and thank you for being such a good friend. And it's nice to have met another writer that understands the journey. And I'm so excited for your successes. I'm just really eager to see you continue to succeed. And it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. So thank congratulations. You. So that was my discussion with E.C. Stilson back in 2018. It was such a pleasure to have her on, and I was so happy to hear from her recently asking if she could be on the show to talk about her upcoming memoir called Two More Years. And it's definitely a bittersweet discussion that she and I had, uh, which you're going to hear on the next episode of Excelsior Journeys, because um, Elisa has, in a couple for the past couple of years, she's been living with stage four melanoma. And so she's got a lot to say about that. She's got a lot to say about the journey which led her to this new memoir. I really hope that all of you um I, it's it's hard for me to even say enjoy the next episode uh because it was it was it was difficult for me like just you know hearing what my friend was going through um but at the same time i was so proud of her journey really you know this the way that she's been dealing with it her positivity as you heard in the in the previous conversation that I had with her, her positivity is just it defies logic. <laughs> um, and I love that about her. I think that uh, she's got a wonderful, wonderful, upbeat attitude about everything that she deals with. It's it's something that I personally strive to have a point of view like that. So on Tuesday. You're going to be hearing the second time that uh, E.C. Stilson has been on the show, this time to talk about uh, her new memoir, Two More Years. I hope you get it uh, since it's on Amazon now. And I really hope that this next episode really connects with you. That's probably the best way that I can say. I can't say, I hope you enjoy it. No, I hope it connects with you because that's what, uh, that's what Elisa does with everyone around her. And I hope that she does the same for you. So for E.C. Stilson, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, I will see you next episode.